As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Easy to make. We're building a stronger student. Hard to keep. It was too ambitious. Every school program promises to help your kids. Avid's transformative effect. School boards promise to protect your tax dollars. I can tell we are starting to lose trust. But as those promises get bigger, who's making sure they deliver? And if you're not trying to find out why. From the Fox 6 studios, this is Open Record. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire, here with my colleague Brian Polson. Hey, Brian. Hey, Amanda. We are recording this episode on Thursday, December 9th. And we're here to talk about AVID. Not the system we used to edit on in news, but actually this is an educational program. Stands for Advancement Via Individual Determination. It's a college and career readiness program. Thousands of schools are contracted with this nonprofit across the country, including several right here in Wisconsin. And Amanda, you started investigating this program when a Wauwatosa school administrator encouraged the district to contract with AVID while the program was paying her husband. If you haven't listened to that episode, by the way, from a couple of weeks ago, I recommend you do. It's called Runaway Relationship, and it is, and I'm just going to say this, Amanda, it's not scripted here. You didn't put this in. It is an example of what investigative journalism ought to be. Give it a listen if you haven't, and then come back to this one. But we will have an update to that story in just a few minutes. Today, though, we're actually going to take a deeper dive into what AVID is and why some districts are reconsidering its use. So, Amanda, we probably ought to start with an overview of how AVID works. Yeah, Brian, and thank you for the kind words. So AVID has been around for more than 40 years. It started in 1980 uh, with a woman named Mary Catherine Swanson. She was a San Diego educator, and there was a situation that wasn't really sitting very well with her. She taught at a predominantly white school that was getting ready to accept hundreds more minority students, and the school was putting together all these remedial classes for those incoming students. Swanson didn't think it was right to assume that they couldn't handle the material right out of the gate. So she started this experiment to see if the incoming students could handle her college prep material if she supplemented with devoting a period each school day to tutoring, helping them with study skills like note taking, and really just providing that additional motivation. That experiment is how AVID was born. So how does that translate today? If a school contracts with AVID, there's what they call Little Avid, and that's the elective class that Mary Catherine Swanson dreamed up in 1980. And then there's Big Avid. It's the school-wide effort to incorporate those strategies. So schools pay Avid for training, licensing, its library of materials, and sometimes they actually hire a separate person to oversee Avid in the district. This is not a cheap program. Earlier this year, Wabatosa approved a three-year, $170,000 contract. And schools are willing to pay because AVID says its mission is to close the opportunity gap. Opportunity gap. What is that? 
So it used to be more commonly referred to as the achievement gap. You might remember in 2019, Wisconsin made headlines with the country's largest test score gap between black and white students. And that gap to different degrees exists, not just in Wisconsin, it's all over the country. Avid says it's helping by creating more opportunities for students of color through both its elective classes and its school-wide program. Avid says it's for all students, but really it wants to create more opportunities for students who are typically marginalized. The research on AVID's effectiveness does have mixed results, and it's hard to find that research. And that research is relatively recent. So I've spoken with educators involved with AVID who eventually became skeptical of the program's ability to deliver, especially considering its cost. And that skepticism starts with the fact that students must apply to get into that AVID elective class. I love the history lesson of this going all the way back to how it was created because the concept seems like a noble one. That is when there is this gap, whether you call it an achievement gap or opportunity gap, this gap between uh, more privileged students and those with less privilege or white students versus students of color. The idea of closing that gap, certainly a noble one, it's all really a matter of how much does it cost and does it work? So this question of applying to get in this elective criteria, the original concept seemed like it was for all of these students who were maybe struggling to to uh, reach up to their peers. But now this sounds a little more selective. What are these elective criteria? So you'll see uh, there's a lot written about what the avid student looks like who gets to take this elective class. And you'll see a lot of language that says it's targeted for the, quote, academic middle. So mostly B and C students, or in some cases, maybe A and B students, depending on the school district. These are supposed to be students who have the inherent motivation to succeed. That's one of the most important qualities that teachers are supposed to be looking for when they're selecting these AVID students. When they apply, educators are also supposed to consider things like ethnicity, um, their parents' educational background, so that they can help those groups of more marginalized students. But the most important quality is, does that student have the inherent motivation to succeed? That stands out to me as sort of a biased sample of students. If you're specifically picking out people you already think have this motivation to succeed, is that really helping the ones who might be lagging behind who may or may not have that motivation to begin with. And that's one of the main criticisms of AVID. And, and to be clear, everyone I talk to for this story, even the people who have strong critiques of the program, no one is saying it's a it's a bad program. Everybody said, of course, students should have extra help with study skills and tutoring and someone to guide them through the college application process and prepare them for careers. None of those are, are bad things. But the question is, are you getting your money's worth and who is this helping and is it helping them to the degree that you're claiming it's helping them? So, Well, and it's been around for a long time now. If this started or if the concept started in 1980, I mean, 1980, I hate to point this out, but I was eight years old. I am no longer eight years old. I this was negative 10 years, years old yeah, okay. in 1980. So this, is, this is more than 40 years. We're in the area of academics. Academics love to research things. There must be research. What does it say 
and 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 what do we know about the success that Avid has had in closing that gap? Well, and that's the interesting part, and this is where we get into some of the challenges of education research, especially for a program where the critique is, at least for the elective class, that you might be cherry-picking your students. So as recently as 2010, the U.S. Department of Education's What Works Clearinghouse found only one of 66 AVID studies actually met its quality standards. And at the time, because of that, the Clearinghouse said AVID had no discernible effects on adolescent literacy. Now, AVID wrote a rebuttal saying that the report lacked proper context, but this is where we get into the challenge of education research. Ideally, when you are doing research, you are able to randomly select people to do one thing, right? And then you have the control group that's not doing that thing so you can compare. There are ethical problems with doing that with an educational program because now you're taking some students and deliberately not putting into a program that could, if, if Avid's promises ring, too, ring true, change their lives. I mean, these are people's... They become literally human guinea pigs. Yeah, these are people's lives you're dealing with, especially at really critical moments in education. So you can't just randomize it. So the people who research this are limited to going into programs that are already in effect where these students have already been selected. And, and as we just talked about, they're selected based on a certain set of criteria that critics say can be considered cherry picking. So the big question is, are these students doing well in AVID because of the program or because these are students who are already inherently more motivated? Are these students who are already going to be doing better in part because of that inherent motivation or because of other factors going on or because if they got any form of additional attention, in-house tutoring, you know, that the school district provided on its own, would would they have done well? So there have been since that, that 2010 um, What Works Clearinghouse uh, finding, there have been more studies and those studies for AVID – uh, they do what's called um, propensity score matching. So they're basically taking groups of students in AVID and comparing them to similar counterparts. So students with of similar demographics, similar GPAs, uh, similar backgrounds. That way they can try and get as close of a match as possible. It's still not perfect, but it gives you a better sense. So they did this study on AVID in Madison, and then there are a few studies in Florida, and all those studies show the AVID students having improved GPAs and more of them going on to college. And in Madison's case, you know, they're seeing some results coming back that also show those students who go on to college are doing well in college. They're staying there. So all of that sounds really good. But then the question is, again, are they doing well because of AVID or because of other factors. And so well, the thing that one of the things that stands out to me about all of this is you talk about the idea, you know, it's a good idea in general to have more tutoring, to have teach people how to take notes and to teach people certain study skills. 
that's great. This is an idea if it's been around for more than 40 years. I guess part of me just wonders why this isn't part of the – if it's so good, if it's so effective, why isn't it part of the regular school curriculum at schools across the country? Why is a proprietary vendor needed to teach kids how to study or how to, how to you know, get that extra help? Is there something particular that Abbott is doing that schools can't do themselves that they have to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to do? So I tried really hard to get someone who loves Avid to do an on-the-record interview, and nobody would. But I did speak to educators who feel really strongly about it on background. And the most common answers I got were that Avid provides them with a common language, right? So because remember, what we're talking about with the elective class, that's only part of AVID. The idea is for all of these studies to be incorporated, for all of these strategies, I should say, to be incorporated school-wide. And to do that is is actually a, a massive effort. So they like that AVID gives them a common language. It provides training that, quite frankly, is exciting and energizing to teachers. They have these slickly produced videos. They're really big on that motivation. The the people who love Avid, they love Avid. I, I haven't really seen this kind of excitement or heard educators talk about a program the way I hear them talk about Avid. So my question as a reporter is, is this something that is exciting because they see it working. And those educators will tell you yes. And the students who get surveyed about AVID, they express pos- they tend to express positive feelings about the program. Or is, is the excitement matching, truly matching the results? And that's what's harder to find. So as part of my research, I did talk to a researcher who studied AVID in Chicago. And her findings were, were much less glowing than some of the other research that I've seen, where she said there really wasn't much. She looked at freshmen who were taking the AVID course, and there really wasn't a, a difference in their GPA. She said students spoke positively about the program, but when you looked at the data, you didn't see that huge improvement that I think some educators were expecting to see. Now, that was a few years ago, and AVID has since changed, but her main idea, and something that some parents have expressed to us, is that she's concerned programs like this really put the onus for closing the opportunity gap on the students, right? Look at the name, advancement via individual determination. So she's worried that by sending a message that, hey, you can have these study skills and lift yourself out of this situation where there are opportunity gaps, that it takes away the incentive and the focus on changing the instructional framework. You know, as one parent put it to me, if you're getting bullied for the color of your skin, study skills aren't going to help you out of that, right? If you have a teacher who's not taking you seriously, because there's racism involved in the class, you know, how you take notes isn't going to help you. Or if you're taking coursework that itself isn't challenging enough, your study skills aren't going to to be there. Now, Avid will say they're much more than study skills, but that was the the basis of some of the concerns that I've heard 
about the I program. guess I just I step back as a parent and as a taxpayer and I think of the the amount of money that's already funneled into public schools all across the country the idea being to teach kids to have a curriculum to have uh, educators who are trained and, and and know what they need to do I guess I'm just wondering what is it that this proprietary company that only works with selective districts that are willing to shell out the extra money what do they know that teachers and school districts otherwise don't know. If you're thinking about closing an achievement gap or an opportunity gap, it seems like the districts such as Milwaukee Public Schools could benefit from something like that far more than, for instance, Mequon-Thienesville Public Schools. But we know Mequon-Thienesville was an avid district. Um, is that the kind of district that really needs to close the achievement gap between white and black students as much as maybe a public school district in an urban city like Milwaukee. Um, I can imagine the cost for the city of Milwaukee to have a program like Avid District Wide would be astronomical, which may be a huge hindrance. But it just raises the question about if these are such important things for schools to be teaching kids, why isn't it already part of the curriculum? Well, and that, it's interesting that you mentioned Mequon Thienesville because after our story aired, I talked to some educators there. Mequon Thienesville is considered um they're used for avid showcases they're really considered kind of like a prized avid district and i spoke with several educators there and i asked them do, do you feel like avid has been transformative in your district and i out of the the four i talked to all four said no and they said that while some of these study skills are important they pointed out that, you know, one person said, you know, you're seeing a, a busload of white kids whose parents are doctors get taken on these college tours. And then this is considered an equity program. Again, there's nothing wrong with students taking college tours, but it left several educators feeling confused um, and maybe a, a little bit jaded about what that mission was. In other cases, in, or, in order to be this, you know, this avid showcase school district, in your elective class, you have to have a certain percentage of students of color. You have to you have to hit a certain metric. And it was to the point where because this is a predominantly white school district, this program was really getting pushed on every student of color, whether or not they traditionally would be considered a, quote, right fit for the program. And even students who maybe didn't want to take it were getting pressured to take the course and stay in the course. And that's something educators say they felt uncomfortable with. And then when you have students who are turned away because their GPA isn't high enough or because they're not seen as having the inherent motivation – well, what happens to those kids? As one educator told me, those are the kids I want to help or the ones who maybe aren't inherently motivated. And that's the thing. When you say kids who don't have a high enough GPA are turned away, doesn't it almost seems counter to what the mission of the program is, which is to close an opportunity gap, to close this gap between the achievement of, of students of color and, and white students. If you're turning away people with a low GPA, by definition – their achievement is not so high. They need improvement. So it, it does raise that question. But I, I really I step back and, and I as I kind of keep coming back to that question of why isn't this already part of it, uh, of the average curriculum? I still don't have a clear idea of other than study skills, what exactly it is that AVID 
knows? What is it that it is teaching that schools don't already know that they need to pay a vendor a, a premium for and that only certain districts that agree to pay this additional premium are getting access to? You know that I had worked on a similar story years ago about a vendor that was going around and selling very expensive contracts to school districts to save money on energy costs. And there was a lot of controversy because that company was ultimately, if you really boiled it down, just getting school districts to shut off the lights at night and make sure that they were doing things that were more energy efficient, things most districts ought to know how to do. They just weren't doing on their own. So you could argue there was value that money was being saved. You could also argue they paid a whole bunch of money to a private contractor to tell them how to shut off the lights at night. And I'm wondering with this, is this a case of school districts paying an exorbitant amount of money just to figure out how to take notes? Well, and that, I mean, I, I'm sure that, and we don't know for sure because no one from Avid responded to my interview request. I'm sure they would push back strongly on that. And that's one thing we hear over and over from the people who like Avid but wouldn't talk to us on the record is it's not just about notes. It's about this school-wide effort to close opportunity gaps. And, and when How? you press and that's people... How? That's, that's the part that I'm still stuck on is if it's more than notes... What is it? And you tried to get people to sit down and walk you through that, and they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't. Now, I did speak to a former, a now-retired Wauwatosa administrator who has worked with the program in multiple schools. And he takes the viewpoint that several school districts could probably do what AVID does on their own. He, he used the phrase DIY because the cost is so high and and especially in a day and age where you have limited funds um and you know he said and he pointed out from his perspective as an administrator there are times you need to contract out certain work it's it's certainly not unheard of for districts to contract with educational programs but when i asked him if if he were superintendent you know would he want to contract with Avid right away, he said it it wouldn't be a hard no, but it wouldn't be a, a hard yes, because they're a lot of what they do, they curate their materials. So these a lot of the materials that you're getting aren't materials Avid itself has invented. It's collected them in a place where it is easy for you to find, but they already exist out there in the world. So yes, using Avid may make it easier, but he used that as an example of how he thinks maybe a school district could do it on its own. And and so all of this brought us to West Allis, West Milwaukee School District. They've been doing the Avid elective class for several years now, and their goal was to do this expansion so that it really wasn't just the elective class. It had that, quote, avid effect that you hear about whenever uh, avid representatives talk about big avid, that, that school-wide effort to incorporate the avid strategies. And they said it was really hard to do. You're sending all these people to training, and the the administrator we talked to kind of compared it to watching a TED Talk, right? You watch a TED Talk, you're really inspired, you go out, you go, yeah, I'm going to do this. And then very quickly, you're not doing it because you need that ongoing training and that ongoing education for something to really stick. Well, to do that is very expensive. And then you have teacher turnover, so you've trained people, then they leave, and then you have to pay to train more people. And if you don't have that continuing support and you don't really make that your main focus 
And of course, when one thing becomes your focus, it means other things have to not be your focus. Then it's really hard for, that's what she said, to make it stick school-wide. And then if it's not going to stick throughout the entire school, then you have questions that come up about, well, what are we doing offering this elective class that only some people can take? So West Alice, West Milwaukee is reevaluating its uh, use of AVID. It's, that's not to say they definitely will or definitely won't use them in the future, but they're taking a, a more critical look at it. There are teachers who still feel really strongly about it and they want to make sure their voices are heard, but they're questioning now whether it aligns with their mission. And I have heard from some parents in Wauwatosa who say they don't want the school board to feel like they can contract out the hard work that they have to do when it comes to looking at making things equitable in schools. Because that is a really difficult conversation to have. And those strategies uh, are things that you can't just hash out in one board meeting, right? So the idea that you can pay someone to come in and do that can sound really appealing But then are you getting the results? And when I ask, by the way, because one of the questions I've been asking through this is, what metrics should we be using to measure AVID's success, right? That's the key. Is it students' GPA while they're still in high school? Is it how many students are going to college? We know college isn't for everyone, so are, are we then pushing kids into college? What about kids who go on to careers straight out of high school? How are we measuring that? Is it kids sticking in college? And, and when I ask that, you know, people say, well, all the above. Well, I mean, you know the saying, Brian, if everything's a priority, nothing's a priority. And sometimes those metrics can conflict. You Maybe you have a kid whose GPA doesn't improve, but then they go to college. Well, how do you know that they weren't going to go to college before? These are These are not easy metrics to boil down. And, well, and, and and when you're trying to convince taxpayers to add a line item into the budget that isn't already there, it's going to come out of taxpayers' pockets, they naturally want to know, what am I getting for my money? And that requires measurement. And if the measurement is unclear, then it's hard to know if you're really getting any bang for your buck. Right. And now, look, the, the researcher that I talked to who studied this in Madison said, you know, he thinks it's a fair takeaway to say this works in Madison. But they've been doing this in a really purposeful way for several years, and it it was a slow rollout. So Madison's been using Avid since 2007, and it's just now that they're starting to look at expanding it into the elementary schools. Wauwatosa, on the other hand, launched the class in the 2019-2020 school year, And halfway through that, of course, we had the pandemic hit. And then it was 2021 where they were voting to expand it to all the elementary schools. That's a much faster rollout. So in Madison, they implemented it in a way that was purposeful. They had a lot of the administrators who started to implement. They they didn't have a big turnover in administrators who were involved in AVID. That was really key. And they partner it with a program called TOPS, which follows students into college to give them that support. So it's hard to tell how that translates from Madison into other districts where maybe you have higher turnover with the administrators involved, or you don't have TOPS, or you have a much faster rollout. So all of that is to say, I didn't talk to anyone who said flat out, 
Avid doesn't work, but I talked to a lot of people who questioned how well it works for the cost in every school district. Well, and I think it's very telling that if there are those who are huge proponents of and defenders of the program, no one you contacted was willing to talk to the very people who pay for the program, our viewers, taxpayers. There instead, they seem more intent on selling the program to the people who can make the decisions as to whether or not it will be a program in a district, and that is school administrators or school board members. So they're openly willing to propose it to them, but they weren't willing to talk to you about that. Well, and that's when I and you can you can tell someone's a, a good researcher when I mean, with, with every researcher I talked to, I basically spent, you know, 30 minutes to an hour just poking holes <laughs> in all their studies, and none of them got defensive about it. Um, and in fact, the the researcher in Madison said, you know, I think these are questions every district should be asking. You should be asking, is this working? How are we measuring how it's working? And if we're not asking those questions, why? And there was definitely a sense of, when I started questioning this program, how dare you question it? This is great from some of the proponents. And, uh, you know, when it comes to how tax dollars are spent, I don't think we can afford to not question. Like we mentioned earlier, Amanda, all this avid talk started when you took on an investigation into the Wauwatosa School District after you found emails showing the assistant superintendent, Kristen Bowers, had encouraged the district to contract with the program while it was paying her husband. The district put Bowers on leave, launched an internal and external investigation. Now you have new public records. What do those show? The, the new public records show in part, the extent to which Kristen Bowers was involved in the AVID contract. So uh, Wabatosa School District got a 2019 legal opinion that spelled out uh, the potential problems with the Bowers relationship as it relates to AVID. And the opinion called it a potential conflict of interest and appearance of impropriety and recommended that Kristen Bowers stay out of AVID decision making. And it specifically mentions she needs to not be involved in the contract. But even after that legal opinion, these records show she was involved in the contract. She was calling meetings about AVID expansion. She was reviewing the contract. She was in meeting with AVID reps about the contract. At one point, the uh, assistant superintendent uh, in the who handles the business affairs of the school district asked her if there were any options for like different payment options for the contract. And Kristen Bowers says there's a need to purchase everything that's on there. So, I mean, her her hands were really in it. So these new emails that we got show even further the extent to which she was involved. But they also got at something that had kind of been bugging me since I started looking at this story. So Kristen Bowers and her involvement with AVID, a lot of that happened under now former superintendent Phil Ertl. He did not respond to our request for comment. Current superintendent Demond Means started in August 2021, and he had been aware of concerns about the Bowers relationship. A former school board member named Mary Jo Randall had been emailing him about it. And he is the records custodian for the district, so he's the one who's writing the response letters, and he's copied on every email where I get public records from Wauwatosa. And so I'm getting these records that show her involvement in September, in beginning of October, 
And still no one opens an investigation into Kristen Bowers. No one puts her on paid leave. And really the tactic was to defend her. And it's not until I show up at a board meeting and board members find out what I actually found that the district starts to take action, puts Bowers on leave, launches investigations, et cetera, et cetera. So what had been bothering me was, well, the superintendent had access to all this information. So what was going on? And the 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 kind of thing that had been put out was, well, he inherited a tough situation. So these new public I mean, he records... He just got there in August. He's got this mess on his exactly. hands. And now he's got to clean it up, right? Exactly. Well, these new public records show that when... He, the superintendent, the current superintendent, Demond Means, became aware of these concerns about the Bowers relationship. Instead of opening his own investigation, he took steps to protect Kristen Bowers. So, what our our viewers and listeners should know is that Demond Means has known the Bowers for years. They've worked together in previous districts. Uh, relatively recently, Demond Means was Brett Bowers. That's Kristen Bowers' husband. He was Brett Bowers' boss at Mequon-Thienesville. And he's been very involved in AVID. As we just discussed, Mequon-Thienesville was an AVID district. But then when Demond Means went on to work in Georgia, he ran into some of his own AVID problems. His school district contracted with AVID after AVID had paid him to teach some AVID courses, and someone filed an ethics complaint and mentioned that, along with a, a variety of other things. And uh, Dr. Means and the superintendent ended up entering into a separation agreement, and he got paid more than $600,000 in agreement to not sue them. And then from there, he comes to Wauwatosa. So we have that whole backstory. So he's got his own skeletons in his closet in terms of the relationship with AVID and then he comes into a situation where there's concerns raised about someone's relationship with AVID and the district's contract. And you find evidence that his first step here, you say, is to, to sort of help protect her? Yes. So when he gets these emails with concerns about her relationship from Mary Jo Randall, he starts, he forwards these emails directly to Kristen Bowers. And then they start having conversations about how to respond to Mary Jo's questions about AVID because she was questioning not only the relationship, but the efficacy of the program. And so in an email in September, Demond Means tells Kristen Bowers that he thinks he has a plan and he wants her to join in in strategizing with him about that plan. So that caught my eye. When I saw that email, because it's not often when an employee is accused of wrongdoing that their boss says, hey, let's strategize about this. I think I have a plan. And so what happens from there is Kristen Bowers becomes very involved in the district's avid messaging. And she already had been involved, but that involvement continues. So she's the one working behind the scenes on presentations to the school board. And even though at that point the district is starting to talk about walking back its commitment to its AVID contract, these presentations still speak very positively about AVID. And Kristen Bowers is involved in editing them behind the scenes. Uh, She's involved in the discussions about what the district's AVID goals and promises should be. In a public meeting in October, Demond Means says that Kristen Bowers is one of the people who will be in discussions about the future of AVID. So the, per- the person 
who is married to the guy that Avid pays and whose relationship is coming into question gets to be involved in discussions about that program's future. And that it was it was a quick thing at a public meeting. I think a lot of people missed it, but you kind of see how that's unfolding behind the scenes in those emails. But what really stood out to me was after Fox 6 started asking questions, that's when Demond Means starts strategizing with Kristen Bowers about how to defend her husband. He says he thinks the district should point out that he had national reach, not just local. That's, that's his input on that. And then he asks her to contribute to a statement that he drafted. And that, that statement originally said that the Bowers relationship was not the real issue, and it called allegations of the appearance of a conflict of interest inaccurate, and it cites that 2019 legal opinion as backing that up. It says the 2019 legal opinion refutes allegations of an appearance of conflict of interest. So essentially they're saying, this Amanda St. Hilaire, she's way off base. (laughs) This isn't true. It's wrong. Don't believe what you're hearing. We have a legal opinion that says she's wrong. Essentially, that's what the message is, right? That's pretty much what the what the original message was. And at that point, when it was written, no one thought the legal opinion would see the light of day because those documents are protected by attorney-client privilege. So I had seen some summaries of what the legal opinion said, but at that point, very few people knew what it actually said. Well, after we showed up and talked to school board members, uh, school board members Mike Meyer and Sean Rollin pushed to make that legal opinion public. And the school board, and something I've never seen before, voted to waive attorney-client privilege and release that legal opinion. And what did it say? Uh, It says the opposite of what is described in that statement, Brian. The legal opinion says the Bowers relationship is a potential conflict of interest and appearance of impropriety. And later in the document, it says, at the very least, Bowers' involvement in the AVID contract would be an appearance of conflict of interest. So we have this statement that says, this legal opinion says there's no appearance of conflict of interest. And then the legal opinion says, at the very least, (laughs) there's an appearance of a conflict of interest. Now I want to be, and I know we 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 got well. We've talked about a lot of this stuff, but I want to come back to this point to wrap it up, which is the statement never was released, but it was clearly what was in the works behind the scenes. They were preparing to say Amanda Saint Hilaire doesn't know what she's talking about. The statement was never released to the public. What I'm trying to figure out is if it went out to any staff, because in the discussions about the the statement they're saying oh we have a meeting with administrators tomorrow so we want to have it ready for tomorrow so i'm trying to figure out if other staff saw this statement but i can tell you it never went out to to parents and to the public so but we do know that this prepared statement that she had input on at the superintendent's request said the opposite of what was in the legal opinion and all of that came after the superintendent said I have a plan. Yes, and the so the original plan was to tell you something that's not true and what ended up happening was Kristen Bowers got to use taxpayer resources to mount her defense, not to the g- degree that was originally planned, but she did have that input. Now, what happened was after this statement gets drafted, we show up at a public meeting, we chase people down, we ask them some questions, board members learn what we find, things really accelerate from there. And after that, a much more apologetic statement 
goes out to parents in the school district. So, for example, the original statement called uh, the school district's violations of its own policies uh, self-inflicted procedural challenges. And the statement that actually went out to parents was much more clear on, yeah, we violated our own policies and, and we're sorry for that. So what ended up going out to parents was n- was not that original draft. However, what went out to parents was happened when it became very clear that more of this was going to become public. So I thought people should know what the original plan was back when no one thought that a conflict of interest legal opinion would see the light of day. Here was the original way this was going to be described to you. And this is why public records are so important and seeing the process is so important because someone could watch this and say, oh, wow, look, they put her on leave, they, they did everything, and not know that the original plan before things accelerated, quite frankly, before Fox 6 got involved, was to protect this employee. It's something that's happening with your money. It's something that's happening with administrators who affect your schools, and it's something you deserve to know. Typically, this is the part of the podcast where we would go off the record, but quite honestly, we have been on the record so long, we are going to take a little hiatus on off the record. This week, we'll give executive producer Sarah Smith an extra week to come up with an outstanding question that doubles the length of the podcast. If we doubled it today, our editor, Dave Machuda, would probably want to stab us in the eyes. If you have something you'd like us to discuss on open record, an issue you think we should investigate, be sure to send us an email. Send those emails to fox6investigators at fox.com. That is fox, the number six, investigators at fox.com. As always, thank you to all the people who make this podcast possible. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't done that already. You can find it wherever you do your podcast listening. With that, I'm Amanda St. Hilaire. And for Brian Polson, we'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.